Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. Good. Good morning. Thanks for joining us this morning, whether in person or online. If you're new with us, my name is Peter Anderson, the senior pastor here. If you're old with us, my name is Peter Anderson, and this is my mustache. Um, I got a, uh, I got a, I got one round of applause. Thank you, sir. Um, uh, yeah, I got, I got a one-week pass on this. I left on Sunday last week, and I shaved off my beard, and I said, Sarah, just give me one week. Let me preach in it. And then I'll shave it off. So this is, it's gone after this. Uh, And my wife couldn't be happier. Uh, That being said, uh, we are continuing in on our series on uh, on how to read the Bible. We're excited you're on this, uh, this train with us. Last week... Pastor Jeff did a, uh, did a deep dive into the study of words um, and talked about Greek lexicons and different languages. And I was geeking out. Um, uh, but that's a, I mean, that's a very focused, focused thing um, to be able to do. And I know it can be a little bit overwhelming to go that deep into even one specific word, a whole word study around the gospel. Um, and so today we're going we're gonna to zoom out just a little bit. Um, and we're going to get back to kind of studying the word as a whole. And we're going to be jumping all around the Gospels today. But if you want to go ahead and flip to the book of Matthew, you can do that in your physical Bibles, digital Bibles. If you're online, you can go to the BibleGateway.com, open another tab if you want, um, whatever that may be. Uh, and we'll be there shortly. Uh, but as you're doing that, I want, to, uh, I want you to think about a question you have regarding something you want to know more about in Scripture. Maybe it's something you just simply want to know more about and want to know what scripture has to say. Maybe it's about prayer. Okay, maybe it's about uh, Old Testament prophets. Maybe it's about the book of Revelation. Maybe it's simply about anger. Um, maybe it's about hurt or, or, you know, whatever it may be. I just want you to kind of think about that for just a second. And I want you to know on top of that, today is going to be a little bit different. If you were to ask me what my spiritual gift is, I would not say teaching. I would say preaching. Um, because of the fact that uh, preaching is a little bit more emotive. I want to give a message that's going to change the world, and uh, hopefully you feel that. Um, Today's message, we're leaning into the teaching side of things. So if you're a note taker, if you're somebody who wants to just, you know, study up on different methodology and that sort of thing, that's where we're going today. So you type A note takers who want all the bullet points and everything like that, you're going to get them today. I'm going to give you a five-step process on how to study the Word, and you guys will go home happy. Um, so, uh, so just know that the other thing that's going to be a little bit different is I'm going to ask you if you came with somebody today or uh, you're, you're, you're at home, um, I want you to, as we, there's going to be some opportunities for you to either write down questions or share with the person that you came with today or share in the comments online um, what it is that, that we're kind of talking about. So real quickly, let's go back to that question, the thing that, that, we, uh, that you want to know more about, what the Bible says about a specific topic, whatever it may be, like I said, prayer, prophecy, anger, whatever, I want you to share with the person that you came with or share in the comments uh, online what that specific thing is. I'll give you just a couple seconds. Ready, go. I'm releasing you. Go ahead. You can have conversations in church right now. Okay, good. Low murmur. I like it. Online, I hope you're feeling maybe feeling a little awkward right now. Um, 
Okay, good. And I want you to hold on to that, okay? We're going to name that a theme, okay? That's a theme that you want to know from Scripture. So hold on to that theme, and we're going to get back to that in a second. But I want to share a quick story, because when I was younger um, and didn't know much about the Bible, there was a time that I was in high school, around the early 2000s, late 90s, um, that a very famous book series came out, uh, a Christian book series came out. Some of you probably could guess it, even regardless of the time frame, called the Left Behind series, okay? A lot of you probably read through it, and that sort of thing. Um, I was so excited about it. I thought it was really cool that these books knew what was going to happen in the future, okay? Spoiler alert, they don't. Um, But I thought it was cool to at least check it out. If you are new to Christian Circles, the Left Behind series really was a, a fictitious representation of what guys thought was going to happen in the book of Revelation, okay? Um, and so that's kind of, so I was really, really excited. about. I drooled over these things. Matter of fact, every day at my high school, they had a thing called sustained silent reading before second period. Anybody else have to endure sustained silent reading? Yep. Um, very, very seldom was it sustained, even less seldom was it silent, and even less was probably reading. But uh, I got the opportunity to read for like 25 minutes every single day. I didn't have an option. Um, and so I would bring these books with me to school, and I tore through them as quickly as a high school boy who was forced to read would tear through books, which is pretty slow, but I still got through them um, eventually. And so as I was reading through them, before the last book was released, actually my mom and I decided, who is here today, uh, decided to read through the book of Revelation to, man, hey, let's try to figure out some of these parallels and that sort of thing. And, and uh as I read through Revelation and I looked back at those books, I had no clue how Tim LaHaye and Jerry B. Jenkins got from the book of Revelation and what that book says to this fictional representation of that story. I was incredibly, incredibly uh, confused because Revelation, it talks about like a dragon and stars and bulls and, and seals and there's a lady. And, and I didn't see any of those things anywhere in the series. I mean, there were females in the story. But outside of that, that was it, right? I didn't understand how they got there. So after reading a few chapters of Revelation, I got frustrated. I quit reading it and simply allowed Tim and Jerry to do the study for me. And I did and it was fine. That was it, and I was fresh. And so this is the first time, though, that I can remember that I wanted to get answers from the Bible. I wanted to understand Scripture, but I got frustrated, and I couldn't do it because it seemed too complex, and honestly, sometimes as I was reading it, even too far-fetched, right, as I'm reading what's going to happen in the book of Revelation, or even as you read some of the Old Testament stories, right, the book of Jonah, and, okay, is a guy really getting swallowed by a fish for three days and then hawked up on the beach somewhere after he repents. Like, I get it. But it wasn't until I started studying the Bible and actually specific methodologies that I was able to really kind of start to unlock what it meant to be able to understand Scripture. And so that's the whole reason we're doing this series is we want to add tools to your toolkit, okay? Because the reality is is that that this is true, like the frustration regarding Scripture. And, man, man, I just don't understand. What does it mean? How can I get there? It's not just true for people in high school. It's true that for people who do indeed want to get answers from Scripture but don't have the tools in their toolkit in order to do so. Because that's what we as Christians tell people all the time, right? If you want answers to some of life's hardest questions and some of life's most difficult scenarios, hey, just read the Bible. Go read the Bible. It has it all. Which is true, but if someone were to come to you and say, hey, I'm having a really hard time, and you say, hey, go read your Bible, and they flip open to the book of Numbers, man, they are going to be mad at you. 
Like that's a frustrating, you have to be able to understand how to get that. And so this thing that's great in theory, and I do believe the Bible, it's incredibly comforting, it has all of those answers, but sometimes when you are looking for something very, very specific, it can be difficult. It can be incredibly, incredibly difficult. So we have to put some new tools in our toolkit in order to better equip ourselves uh, to find these answers. So today we're going to be working through a Bible study methodology. Now this series is called How to Read Your Bible. Today we're going to focus on one methodology on how to study your Bible, okay? And that methodology is called the thematic Bible study method, okay? The thematic Bible study method. And the method is just as it sounds. It's just as it sounds. It's going to help you establish and understand more about what the Bible says surrounding specific themes that run throughout Scripture, so the, really the, the purpose of this method is to discover what you can about a chosen theme with specific and prepared questions that you will ask as you, as you study. So the nice thing about this method is it starts with you asking questions and that as you ask questions and then figure out where the scripture is, scripture gets to answer the questions that you are curious about. Okay? That's the nice thing about it. You're not reading through the text and then coming up with answers there. You're asking questions, then going to the text to find specific answers. So it's a slightly different bent on the uh, entire thing. And there's some really great advantages to this. The nice thing about this method um, is that you don't need a massive library. Okay? You don't have to be a rich person in order to study the Bible in this way. Um, you really, really don't. All you, you're just going to need to have a couple things. We'll tell you what you need in just a second. The other, the other nice thing is you don't have to have a master's degree in theology in order to understand this methodology and pull answers from it. Okay, this is actually a very simple way to create Bible studies. It's a very simple way to, to teach people. If you've got young kids in your house and they ask you about, hey, mom, what, is, what does it mean when Jesus was resurrected? Okay, that's a great question. This is a great opportunity for you to be able to lean into that through this, uh, through this methodology. Okay, that, this is also a great method because it's quicker than doing like an entire topic or anything like that. Maybe you don't have a, a full hour to do a full-scale study on every niche topic or maybe your theme is pretty broad, right, whatever it, uh, whatever it may be. This is a good hands-on study to reading and studying Scripture. So, for example, rather than saying, hey, I want to learn about prayer, you would ask the question, how does prayer transform my life? Okay, we're getting more specific now, and we're going to get to an answer that it is that you want to hear. So, let's walk through it. The first thing we need to recognize here is you're going to need a few things. Okay, the first thing you're going to need is your Bible. You need your Bible. Okay, the second thing you're going to need is a Bible concordance. You can have a physical copy of one of these. You can actually turn physical pages if you want to. The internet has expedited your ability to, to, to get information into your hands. So BibleHub.com is a great Bible concordance for you. So a Bible concordance is kind of like a, a, an index of sorts. Okay, so what you do is you think of a word. So you think your word is, you know, prayer. We'll keep going with the prayer theme. Prayer, you go, you type it into the Bible concordance prayer, and every single passage that has the word prayer in it, which is going to be a lot, uh, would populate for you. And then you can read them right there on Bible Hub. It's pretty sweet. Um, same thing is true of a physical copy of a concordance. You open it up to prayer. It'll have the Bible references, and you're going to have to go to your actual Bible to read through all of those different things. So uh, the last thing, topical Bible, optional, could make it easier. If you don't have one, don't go out and get one. Go to BibleHub.com. That'll be uh, plenty for you. So are we good? We're going to the classroom. I told you, we're going to the classroom today, and then we'll land with the preach, all right? 
Everybody good? Shake it out. All right, cool. That was more for me than for you. So let's pretend like the thing that you want to know more about in Scripture is about what it means to be a disciple. Okay, that's our question. That's what we're going to tackle as a group today. What does it mean to be a disciple? Because that's a good churchy word that we like to throw around oftentimes, right? The word disciple, okay? And that's going to be step one. You're going to pick a theme. Step one, note takers, pick a theme, okay? Whatever that theme is, pick it. And the good news is, is you guys already did that already. So you guys should be uh, accomplished with with step one already. Congratulations, you're 20% done with this Bible study methodology. But maybe let's get a little bit more specific than simply picking a theme because we don't want too many voices speaking into this. I don't want too many voices speaking into this because the term disciple gets thrown around a lot in the epistles and that sort of thing. And so I want to know what Jesus specifically thought about a disciple. So what is Jesus's definition of of a disciple? That's our theme that we're going to hit on hard today. Okay, so we're doing great. Second step though is where the magic happens for this entire methodology, okay? If you, if you fumble the second step, you're going to have a difficult time. The second step in this entire thing is you get to decide, the, decide on the questions you want answered as it pertains to your theme. So in other words, what are some questions you have about, you know, whatever your theme is, prayer, anger, whatever. What are those questions? Some questions maybe you have about prophecy or end times or whatever, and so people ask them, well, what are, the, what are the questions I should ask about them? Just ask questions you're interested in. Ask questions you're interested in regarding that theme. If you're interested in learning more about anger and what the Bible says about it, rather than just looking up anger, you can ask questions like, what are the characteristics of an angry person, right? Or, uh, or, or what, causes, what causes anger? Or what are the results of anger? What is the cure for anger, right? Depending on who it is that's looking up these questions, whether you are an angry person or the spouse of an angry person, your questions may differ just slightly, right? So come up with those questions that you are interested in having answered. You're not trying, in this methodology, you're not trying to get every single piece of information about every, everything on that topic. That's why it's thematic, not, not topical. So all these are great questions. And that hopefully, you know, and scripture would, would speak to those things. But let's keep going with my example about what is Jesus' definition of a disciple. Okay, so here's my questions. We're going to go with two questions today. Okay, what are the characteristics of a disciple? Okay, that's question one. And what are the results of being a disciple? That's all we're looking to answer today in our methodology. Okay, it's what are the characteristics of the disciple, of the disciple and what are the results of being a disciple? Okay. Okay, type A's in the room. You're excited today because you get to take notes. That's great. But the thing about this methodology is, type A's, if you try to find out every single answer to every single question regarding this topic, what happens with most type A's and perfectionists is you're going to get about 10 of them done, and then you're going to get frustrated because you know you're not going to get to number 100, and then you're going to quit. And I know it's true because that's exactly what I would do as well. So limit yourself to no more than five questions, okay? You want to figure some stuff out? Great. Limit yourself to no more than five questions. This works even with one specific question, okay? So you have your, you have your theme picked out. You have your questions written down. And now is the time that you get to crack that concordance, okay? Open up the physical book. Google it if you want to Google it on Bible Hub, okay? But you're going to look up verses that pertain to your theme, 
That's the next step. Step three, look up verses that pertain to your theme. You don't have to have a physical concordance, like I said. Um, You can simply Google Bible concordance if you want to. But again, uh, Bible Hub is great. We actually have a link to it on our website. So on the front page, if you click how to read your Bible, uh, that'll take you to the how to read your Bible page. Under resources, it says Bible Hub. Click on that guy and it'll take you straight, straight to it. Okay, so I went to Bible Hub. Bible Hub, they have a concordance there, uh, and I search for the term disciple. Okay, just find the main term, the main term that you are looking for uh, in your theme and search for it. And so when I entered that, I got 38 different occurrences of the word disciple in the New Testament. That's a lot of verses, okay? So then I realized, well, hold on. All I want to know is what Jesus said. What was Jesus' definition of a disciple? So what does that mean? Hey, good news. I only have to look at the Gospels now, right? Because that's when Jesus is around. Okay, so I get to just, just focus on the Gospels. And then I get to scan those verses, read those verses, and figure out uh, if I have answers to any of the questions that I've posed. And that's step four. Answer your, answer your questions with Scripture references. Okay, so I know some of you are squirming. You're like, Peter, you haven't read a single piece of scripture. Now we're going to do it, okay? So I was reading through and trying to find the answer to the question. Our first question, what are the characteristics of being a disciple? And I found some great characteristics through my search, okay? I got one from Matthew 10, 24 to 25. This is what it says. It says, the student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above the master, above his master, It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. As the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household. Awesome. Good passage. So based on that passage, we are going to do some critical thinking here. Some of you thought you were coming to church. Man, we're in small group right now, okay? We're going to do a little bit of critical thinking here. So turn to the person you came with, whether you're here at home, maybe you want to write in the comments, jot it down in your notes, whatever it may be. Okay, and I want you to think of at least one characteristic, one characteristic of a disciple based on that passage. We're going to have some awkward silence while you guys mumble about yourselves. Ready, go. All right. I don't like awkward silences. We'll keep moving. It's a bit of a tricky one, but this is telling us that a disciple should be Christ-like, okay? Christ-like. A disciple should be like his master, anything like that, okay? If you came up with something along those lines, that's what we came up with, okay? So we as Christians are going through our day-to-day lives, are called to be like our master, okay? It's exactly specifically what verse 24 says, 24 and 25. We are called, like when we said yes to being a Christian, when we said yes to following Jesus after we prayed the ABCs or we were laying in our bed and mom and dad prayed with us or we slowly fell in love with Jesus over a period of time, whatever it may be, okay, when we said yes to him, ultimately, we said we were going to live a life that exemplified Christ. That's what being a disciple is. We were going to choose to follow him every single day. That's the C in the ABCs. Choose to follow him every day. And so a telltale sign of a disciple of Christ is that they act like Christ. That's what Matthew is telling us here. They aren't going to be perfect. They aren't going to get it right every time because sin is obviously prevalent in the world. But it is our job to do our best to emulate and exemplify Jesus every single day. There's an entire sermon 
to be written from that passage alone about being Christ-like and how we as disciples should be, should, should be so. Awesome. But that's only one passage. Okay? But here's the cool thing. I bet we could find more in that passage. You guys agree? We could probably find more in that passage. Huh? Well, slow down. You guys are overwhelming me right now. Okay. So I bet we can find more in that passage. Relax. I know we're going to get to it in just a second. Yeah, and so next question, based on that passage alone, what was another one of our questions? Maybe something like, uh, what are the results of being a disciple? Okay, we're going to have some awkward silence again. I want you to look at that passage. You could specifically go down to verse 25. What are the results of being a disciple? Go ahead, awkward silence. For me, not for you guys. Mumble amongst yourselves. Online, don't forget, you could please write it in the comments. A little quieter this time. All right. So the last part of this verse specifically tells us, if the head of the house has been called Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household? Okay? Okay? Good. You're doing great. The answer to the second question, what are the results of being a disciple? Easy. A disciple should expect to be treated as Christ was treated by the world. Hey if, it, hey, if this is how the master is going to be treated, if this is how the master was treated, and you are going to be emulating the master, guess what happens to the servant? You're going to be treated the same way. So a, a disciple should expect to be treated as Christ was by the world. So in other words, not very good. You know, I, uh, I looked up some stats regarding persecution of the church, okay, because Christians today, it's even more prevalent now than it once once was, and this is what they found. Uh, it said, the situation of Christians globally makes it very clear that the persecution encountered by them continues to get worse. The report identifies that in 2020, 260 million Christians live in a world watch list, top 50 countries, where Christians are at risk of high, very high, or extreme levels of persecution. This is up from 245 million in 2019. So 15 million more Christians are being persecuted, uh, I guess it was last year now, last year versus the year before that. So they did a fascinating study about the 50 countries that have the worst persecution of Christians. And I know you guys are gonna ask, the United States is nowhere near the top 50 countries where Christians are being persecuted most severely. The top few are North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, and Pakistan in that order. So if you are a disciple, the world is going to hate you because the world hated your master. Praise the Lord, there are disciples all over the world. Okay? That's one of the few, few good things that we can pull from that. Okay? But back to the methodology. We have answers for two of our questions simply by reading one passage of Scripture. But I bet there's more answers to those questions. You guys probably agree with me, huh? I know you guys are excited to do the next one. So let's go back to our concordance, right? Let's get to the next verse. The next verse uh, is going to be Luke 14, 26 to 28. Luke 14, 26 to 28. You can flip there. You can tap there. You can follow along. It says this. If anyone comes to me and does not hate, uh, does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? 
It's a good text right there. That's a strong text. That's a concerning text for a lot of us, right? And so what we're going to do, uh, it's from the Gospels. We know Jesus is involved, so we're going to look back in our questions. Let's look back at the first question again. What are the characteristics of a disciple? What are the characteristics of a disciple? So I want you to take a second, and I want you to turn to the people you came with, write it in the comments, jot it in your notes if you're by yourself this morning. Uh, what is one characteristic of a disciple based on that text? So I want to make sure we're reading it right because I know some of you, to be a disciple means you have to hate your mom. I get that. That's probably some of your answers. And that's okay. That's not true. That's not true. Um, we're going to pull from it something very specific. Okay? So a more straightforward answer to this question would probably be the disciple gives supreme love. The disciple gives more love to Christ and bears his cross and follows him. Okay, let's not distort the message, okay? There's other passages where it talks about Jesus loving your family, honor your father and mother, all of those different things, right? So you don't have to hate your family. You just need to make sure that if it comes down to loving Jesus or loving your mom, Jesus is going to win that battle, okay? That's even hard for some people to hear as well, but regardless. So let's keep moving, though. So that's question one. That's great. That's a great characteristic for, of, of being a disciple, that we need to have supreme love for Jesus. Great. Now what about the results of being a disciple. So let's take one more second and I want you to look up here and decide what are the results now of being a disciple based on this passage and this passage alone. Ready, go. It's a little encouraging, it's a little quieter, okay? Because this is a difficult thing. This is a difficult thing. As we, uh, as we look through that, you can maybe pull some meaning from it. You can maybe assume a result should be, should be bearing your cross, right? That sort of thing. But the passage does not explicitly tell us what the result of being a disciple is. And that is okay. That is good. Do not assume things about Scripture. Where, and hear me on this. If you pull nothing else away from this message today, hear me on this. Allow the Bible to speak when it speaks. Allow the Bible to remain silent when it remains silent. Do not read your own assumptions into Scripture. Okay? And this is a prime example of that. Because a lot of you, or you know, even as we are reading through it, the assumption is, oh, what is the result of being a disciple? Taking up your cross and following him. That's not what it says. It says the disciple should do that. It doesn't say the disciple does that. Okay? So just be very, very clear as you are doing this about those results. So we want to treat the Bible in such a way that, man, we are allowing it to speak when it speaks and allow it to remain silent and remain silent. So let's pretend now, we're going to fast forward, I'm not going to make you do any more of those, uh, that we have done Luke 14, 33, John 8, 31 to 32, and John 13, 34 to 35. We have our characteristics. We have our results of being a disciple. We could stop there. And that would, be, that would be fine. But when we stop there, all we get is head knowledge. All we get is familiarity. We don't want to simply stop with familiarity of Scripture. We want to get to a point of transformation, allowing Scripture to transform our lives. And what's one of the ways we can do that? Well, we have to get to the last step, which is application. 
Okay, application is going to be your last step. And this is where life change happens. Applying what it is that you've learned. You're going to take those things you learned about being a disciple and you're going to write down what you are going to do based on those passages. You're going to write those things down. So it could be something like, I'm going to live more like Christ today. I'm going to be more like a disciple today by being gentle in my responses to other people. Okay, well, how do we get there? Well, we know that Jesus consistently gave gentle answers. And so because of that, in order to be like my master, I'm going to also give gentle answers today, even to that guy at work that I really don't want to give a gentle answer to. I'm going to do that. That's my application point for today. Or you could write things like, I am going to love Jesus more in my life by spending more time with him and logging off of social media. How is it that I can, I can apply this principle of Jesus being the supreme love in my life today. Make it measurable. Hey, any time that I think about logging onto social media, I'm going to go read a chapter of the Bible. Good news is, is you get through your Bible in a year a whole lot faster if you made that agreement with yourself, right? Whatever it may be, take those things that you learned, whether it's, hey, Jesus should be the supreme love of my life or... or you know, I, I'm going to be more gentle in my answers because I'm going to be more like my master, whatever it is, and apply those things to your life because all Scripture is God-breathed. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that. All Scripture is God-breathed and helpful for teaching and rebuking and correction. That's in both our own lives and in other people's lives as well. People love to quote 2 Timothy 3.16 towards other people. Like, hey, this Scripture is really helpful for you. The good news is that scripture we should be able to apply to our own lives so our lives can be transformed as well. So as you read through what his word says, as you study different themes in the Bible, remember the entire reason that we are going through this series is so you have the tools necessary to make the word of God come more alive in your life. We want our church to be incredibly biblically measured. Not just go through the motions, not just to say yes to prayer or show up on Sunday so you can check your religious box. We want to understand scripture and be able to apply it to our lives. I read a great article in Christianity today um, and it was about reading the word and this is what it had to say. It says, reading for the follower of Jesus can never be merely an intellectual exercise. Although we will undoubtedly exercise our minds in the process, reading faithfully ultimately immerses us in an encounter with the living, transforming God. And God's work of transformation happens not in some abstract sense, but in real embodied relationships with the people who surround us, our families, our churches, our neighbors. Reading for the common good keeps us attentive to changing realities. It keeps us focused on the continual learning and discernment necessary to live faithfully in this particular time and place. Reading the Bible transforms our lives. Studying the Bible transforms our lives. And you guys have probably heard this before, but as our lives are transformed, our homes are transformed. And as our homes are transformed, our neighborhoods change. And from our neighborhoods to communities, communities to cities, cities to counties, and counties to the ends of the earth. In short, you reading your Bible and allowing the word of God to transform your life, you studying the Bible and allowing the word of God to transform your life, 
life. And our church getting serious about being biblically measured can and will likely change the world. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, and I'm grateful for a day where it's a, a different type of study, a different type of word. Yeah, that we can recognize that, man, we need tools in our toolkit to be able to, to man, allow your word to transform our lives. And while we recognize there's power in scripture and you can open it up and read it and your life can be completely and totally changed. Will we recognize that, Father? We also recognize that there are tons of tools available to help us glean more meaning from it. In a day and age, Father, where the church has become more and more biblically illiterate, God, I pray that we would take some of these methodologies and that we would be able to put them into place so we can better grasp and understand what it is that you're communicating. God, thank you for your word and a word that tells us that you sent your son to die on a cross for us. Father, if those, those, there, those here this morning who have not yet said yes to you, God, I just, I just ask that they would pray along with me right now, just in the silence of their own hearts, whether in person or online. They would just say, Father, A, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And I admit it, that I fall short every single day. B, I believe that you sent your son to die on the cross for me. That he took my sin upon that cross. And see, we would choose to follow you every single day. And part of that choosing God we recognize is taking your word and opening it up. Allowing your words to transform us from the inside out, Father. God, we love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.